really important big deal of a day. And, you know, one of the reasons is that, you know, there, there's so many incredible things that happen around this time. And I remember when I was younger, it's probably about, you know, 15, 20 years ago. It's 20 years ago now. And my family and I, we were preparing for Passover. And one of the things that we, you always do on Passover is that you go to Jerusalem. You know, so we had packed our, our stuff to, for, for some overnight time there. We were going to stay with some relatives there in Jerusalem. And, you know, all of a sudden, I, some friends of mine ran to me and said, hey, you're not going to believe this. Jesus is, is coming here. Jesus is coming. And, you know, we, back then we lived in, in Jericho. So we didn't expect, we didn't know if Jesus was going to come through on his way to Jerusalem or not. But we knew he'd been out in Galilee. We knew he'd been teaching and preaching. And we'd heard about these miracles that he had done. You know, Jesus had, he had healed blind people. He had healed people who couldn't walk. And all of a sudden they could walk again. And that he was coming right through our town. And I, do you guys remember that old guy, Bartimaeus, who used to live outside of town? Uh, he couldn't see. You know, and every day, if, when kind of like, if we had to leave town to go do something, he'd be out there, and you know, we'd give him a shekel or something, just kind of something to tide him over, because we knew he couldn't take care of himself, and he didn't really have anyone around. But my friend said that when Jesus came by, Bartimaeus started calling out, Son of David, Son of David, help me. And you know what Jesus did? He stopped. And he looked at him and he said, what do you want from me? And Bartimaeus said, I want to see. And Jesus said, your sight is healed. Go in peace. And my, friend, my friend's pretty trustworthy. He told me Bartimaeus could see. He could see. He could, he could tell us what was going on around him. And that's when he came and got me. And I was like, I've got to see this. I've got to see what's going to happen here. Because I've heard all the stories about this Jesus guy. And I just had to see it for myself. And I knew he was coming into town, so I headed into town. And you know what I caught out of the corner of my eye? That little skunk, Zacchaeus, I saw him scrambling up a tree. And I was like, you've got to be kidding me. That little jerk was going to go up and probably cause some kind of a scene, create some trouble because he's Mr. You know, high to do, Mr. Awesome Guy in town. You know, but he would steal from us. He would cheat us. He felt kind of like he was a traitor to us. So I was kind of hoping that he would fall and break his neck. Or at least his leg or something, you know? But he's up there in that tree, and then Jesus starts coming in, and my attention was completely on him. Guys, if you haven't seen him in person, I just can't explain what it's like. He walks by, and, and you can't see anything else. It's just him, right there, in the flesh. And you just can't imagine there being anything else worth looking at. And so he's walking through town, and he gets to that sycamore tree. And you know what he does? He just stops right there and looks up at Zacchaeus. And you know what I was thinking? I was like, finally, this jerk's going to get it. He's going to get with he, what he deserves. Maybe Jesus is going to call fire down from heaven, or maybe he's going to do something to just put this guy in his place. But I was so shocked. Because instead of condemning him, Jesus turned to him, he says, hey, Zacchaeus, come down. I want to have dinner at your house tonight. We couldn't believe it. Everyone in the town was in shock. Not only were we in shock, quite frankly, we were, we were pretty ticked off. Like, of all the righteous people in our town, of all the good 
people in our town, of all the worthy people in our town for Jesus to have dinner with, he chose that scoundrel. And there was grumbling. And the grumbling got louder. And the grumbling got louder. And, you know, I could see Zacchaeus was actually getting a little uncomfortable. I think he was scared. I think he literally thought the crowd was going to turn on him and beat him up. But he cried out and he said, wait, wait, wait. Today I pledge I'm going to pay back everyone I cheated fourfold. Now, you have to understand, almost everyone in that crowd had been cheated, so we were about to score a payday. We immediately calmed down and we realized, wait, something pretty incredible has happened here. He said, I'm going to give half of what I own to the poor. Now, it's hard to describe what this felt like, but if finding out that Bartimaeus could see felt like a miracle, finding out that Zacchaeus could be a real Jew felt like a bigger miracle. How could this guy, who was just the worst of the worst, you know, we made fun of him all the time behind his back. We said mean things about him all the time. We had no hope for this guy to ever be righteous. And Jesus just looks him in the eye, invites himself to dinner, and all of a sudden the guy's life is turned around. That's when I began to realize that there was more to Jesus than I thought. I thought miracle worker, I thought prophet, I thought, wow, this guy can really shake things up for us in a good way. But I didn't understand just the incredible power of his love in the life of one person. Well, I got to tell you, I made up my mind right then and there. We basically already had our bags packed. We knew we were going to Jerusalem. So I told the rest of my family, look, guys, come whenever you want. We, you know, we need to be there in a few days, but I'm going to leave as soon as Jesus leaves. And so Jesus has dinner with Zacchaeus, stays the night. Next morning, he sets out of town. So I went with him, but not just me. There were, there were dozens and dozens of people following him. We just thought, this is incredible. We've got to find out what's going to happen when Jesus goes into Jerusalem. So we follow him to Bethany. And um, I, don't, I, I, I never knew Lazarus. Did any of you guys know Lazarus? But my cousin was friends with Lazarus. And I heard he was a pretty good guy. And I had actually heard that he had died. And it had been a few days since he died, and Jesus was going there. And I did know, I kind of had like heard some stories that Jesus was friends with that family. So I thought, you know, maybe we'll go and pay our respects. And sure enough, he goes right to the house of Mary and Martha and Lazarus. And when he gets there, he starts talking to Mary and Martha. And they, they're just crying. I couldn't really hear what they were saying, but just tears were coming down their face. I know they're mourning the loss of their brother. And then they actually start to look a little angry at Jesus. And they started to raise their voices. And then I heard Martha say, Jesus, if you had been here, he wouldn't have died. Man. I did not want to be Jesus in that moment. You know, I did not want to face that. But there she was, kind of, kind of tearing him down a little bit. And he said, don't you believe in the resurrection? She said, yes, yes, I believe in the re resurrection. The time will come when Lazarus will live again. But then Jesus did the craziest thing I've ever seen in my entire life. 
he told them to roll the stone away from the tomb. Now, I don't know what you would think if you saw that, but what I was thinking is, get ready to hold your nose and get ready for an angry crowd because it's going to smell and it's going to stink. And I mean those in very, two very different ways because this is not going to go well. This is not going to go well at all. So Jesus tells him, no, roll away the tomb. And then he starts praying out loud for all of us to hear. And he prays to God and he calls him Father. And he says, Father, I want them to see what you're doing in me. And then he shouts out, Lazarus, come out. And we all look to the tomb and nothing happened. And then we kept looking and nothing happened. And then we kept looking and no- Wait, what's that? A little sound. And then we hear... And we say, what? Come again? <laughs> Take the, clothes, the grave clothes off me. And Lazarus starts walking out of this tomb, alive. And he didn't smell. And that, we're, minds are blown. Everyone's freaking out. I'm turning to my friends, did you see that? Did you see that? They're like, I saw that. I saw that. It was crazy. People are in awe, people are laughing, people are crying, people are fainting. It's just mayhem there at the grave because Lazarus has walked out and they take the the grave clothes off of him and there he is, alive and well. And everyone who knew him, he's the man, that's Lazarus. And for a moment, no one was looking at Jesus because there's this crazy thing going on. But as soon as we kind of get our wits about us again, We turn over and and Jesus has just gone quietly off with Mary and Martha. But I start to hear a little bit of rumbling. Guys, you know, you know how the Pharisees can be. I don't even have to tell you. But you know, they were, this wonderful thing happens and they find a way to turn into something bad. Right? And I overheard one of them saying, we'll get up to Jerusalem we'll take care of this and I thought what are they talking what do they mean and I realized in the very moment that Jesus is giving life to the dead they're trying to kill the living and I couldn't believe it like these are the guys that I used to look up to these are the guys that I used to listen to when I wanted help navigating this life with God. And they were going to kill the guy that was bringing the dead back to life. And I just couldn't believe it. But I tell you what, by this time, it's not just a few dozen people following Jesus into Jerusalem. The crowds are massive. Massive. Because everyone within a day's run heard about what happened there in Bethany with Lazarus coming back to life. And they wanted to to go with Jesus to Jerusalem. And we were thinking, you know, when he gets there, this is going, there's something big is going to happen. We just knew it. And I'll be honest, what I was thinking was that Jesus is going to get there. There's going to be this massive revolt. 
He's going to lead us in a revolt against the Romans. He's going to tear down the leadership of the Herodians, he, those, those you know, fake Jews who never, were, never really cared about us in the first place. All they cared about was their own power. And Jesus was going to strip it all away, and the kingdom of God was going to be reestablished in Israel. We could taste it. We just knew it was going to happen. He'd been preaching about the kingdom. He was raising people from the dead. He was giving sight to the blind. We thought, well, if we're caught up in some battle, if we get stabbed or shot or hurt, he'll just heal us. We're going to be fine. Just like in the old days that we heard about in the stories. And so when Jesus gets close to Jerusalem, I noticed a couple of his disciples brought this donkey out. And I remembered... I remembered when King David rode in to Jerusalem on a donkey, the rightful ruler of Israel coming into his capital city. And I thought, this is it. He's going to take the kingship. He's going to do it. And I'm going to be here. I'm going to be part of it. And I was willing to fight. I was willing to fight for Jesus, and I was willing to fight for Israel. And so what do we do? We threw our coats on the ground. We cut down trees from the limbs from the trees and threw those on the ground. And we started waving and shouting, Hosanna in the highest. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. You know, and it made me think of that Psalm 118 that talks about how God's love endures forever, that he'll never fail Israel, that God is a conqueror, that he is the one who saves us. And that when we enter into that gate then we're going to see the glory of the Lord revealed. And I kind of thought we were going to march right up to the temple and lay our hands on the altar, just like it talked about in the psalm. But Jesus didn't do that. He goes in, the, the crowds are going crazy, and then he kind of just sneaks off. No one knew where he went. We had no idea where he was. So I went to my family's house, my cousin, and we're, that's where I was going to be staying for the week for Passover. We were preparing for our Passover meal for that Thursday, and every day we would go out to the temple courts just to see what would happen. And you guys wouldn't believe, one day, that first day, Jesus goes to the temple courts, and he starts knocking all the tables over. He starts whipping the people who are changing money. And we're like, what in the world? Who is he to be doing this? This is the temple. He's not even a recognized rabbi. And he's taking charge of the temple, saying what, who can do what and who can't. Saying that, the, that they had turned his father's house into a den of robbers. Like, what are, you, what are you talking about? And then I realized, wait, if Jesus is going to be king, then he does have authority in this place. He does have a right to say what's okay and what's not. And I started to think even more, Jesus is about to start a revolution. There's going to be a revolt. We're going to have our nation back. And then he disappears again. You know, the temple guards were all running, and he's like, where's Jesus? He's gone. And then, after that, he's, uh, he shows up in the courts, and he starts teaching. He starts teaching the people about the life to come, about the kingdom of God. Again, everything you would expect him to do if he's about to start a revolution. He spoke judgment on the Pharisees. 
He outsmarted the Sadducees. He condemned the Herodians. You know, and they would try to catch him too. They would try to trick him. I remember there was this one story uh, where, where, where these Sadducees come up and they're like, hey, Jesus, there's this guy and he's married and he dies. Then his brother marries his wife and he dies. And then his younger brother marries the same wife and he dies. And his younger brother marries the same wife and he dies. You know how it is. Which man will be her husband in the kingdom in the resurrection? But Jesus knew. They were just messing with him. They were trying to catch him. They didn't even believe in the resurrection. But he quoted from Scripture. He said, you know, you don't understand because you don't believe the Scriptures. He says, God is the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He's not the God of the dead. He's the God of the living. And he proved to them that there is a resurrection and that they didn't know anything about it. And they were so ashamed, they didn't even ask another question. But then some other guys came up, and Herodians, you know, the kind of scumbag kind of guys. I don't know. I just can't stand them. And they asked Jesus. They're trying to trap him. He said, hey, should we pay taxes to Caesar? And they know if he says don't pay taxes to Caesar, then they can accuse him of rebellion, and the guards will come, the soldiers will come, and they'll put him in prison. And if he says do pay the taxes, he knows all the people are going to hate him, and they're not going to follow him because they don't want to pay taxes. Who wants to pay taxes? Not me either. And Jesus says, hey, bring me a coin. And he pulls out the coin. And he looks at it. He says, whose image is on this coin? And they said, Caesar. He said, you know what? Why don't you give to Caesar what belongs to Caesar? And why don't you give to God what belongs to God? And I remembered, oh, very clever, Jesus. There's an image of Caesar on the coin, but God's image is on us. Everything we have is God's. This little coin, psh, give it to Caesar. Why not? He was so clever. He was so smart. Uh, this scholar came to him and said, Hey, Jesus, which commandment is the most important? You know, out of the 613 commandments, which one matters the most? And Jesus says, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And the second is, Love your neighbor as yourself. And just the wisdom to cut through the arguments. He also told this story about a vineyard. And the owner of the vineyard goes away. And he sends his servant to collect the profits from the harvest. And the people who are running the vineyard beat the guy up and send him away. And the owner doesn't like that very much because, hey, that's his vineyard. Those are his profits. So he sends another guy. And they beat him up and sent him away too. And he says, you know what? They'll respect my son. So he sent his son. And when the son came, the people who worked in the vineyard got greedy. And they said, if we kill the son, then we'll be able to take the vineyard. And so they kill the son and keep the vineyard. I tell you, the Pharisees did not like that story very much. They knew that story was about them. They were the ones who were rejecting the prophets. They were the ones who were rejecting the servants of God. And now they were going to reject the Son. So Jesus is out teaching, preaching every day. But he always disappears before people can figure out where he's going. So then Passover came. And it was time to have the meal with our family. 
So we went to our family. We had this wonderful, wonderful Seder meal. It was just incredible. It was great to see everyone and catch up with everybody. But we were wondering, would tomorrow be the day? Would tomorrow be the day that Jesus starts this massive, monumental change for us? Restoring the kingdom of God. Restoring Israel to its former glory. Bringing back the days of a king like David. And we went to bed with our stomachs full and our hearts happy and our heads hopeful. And then Friday morning, I woke up to some really bad news. I heard that Jesus went to Passover with his disciples and that afterwards they went out to pray. And one of his disciples betrayed him for 30 pieces of silver. He betrayed Jesus and handed him over to the people who wanted to kill him. He handed him over to the Pharisees. He handed him over to the Sadducees. He handed him over to the Romans. And when I heard that, my heart just sank. I, I literally just fell to the floor and I could just feel it right here. Everything that I had hoped for was taken away. And I could barely breathe. But I thought, I need to go see what's going on. So by this point, Jesus was already up out uh, before Pilate in the public area. And there was this shouting match going on between the crowd and Pilate. And Pilate says, look, I don't find any reason to charge this man. I'm going to just beat him up, you know, give him a nice beating so he knows his place, and we're going to let him go. And the crowd started shouting, no, no, crucify him. And I couldn't believe it. Just a few days before, I had been there when Jesus came in and everyone was shouting, Hosanna, son of David, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And now here's this crowd shouting for his death. And I couldn't fathom how this was possible. How could these people not see that Jesus was the hope for our future? How could they not see that he was the one who was going to restore what we had lost? And all they were doing was looking out for themselves. I was so angry, but I was so scared, and there was nothing I could do. I thought he would be the king, but now he's going to die. And it wasn't right. I knew inside it just wasn't right, and I felt helpless, and I felt hopeless, and I thought the man that I thought who was going to restore our country is being beaten and led off to his own crucifixion. Friends, that was a dark day. And I mean a dark day. Literally the sun disappeared in the sky. In the middle of the afternoon, there was no light. And there weren't clouds in the sky. It wasn't a cloudy day. Okay? It wasn't, uh, some, it wasn't an eclipse. It just went dark. No explanation for it. And as Jesus died on that cross, all of my hopes and dreams died with him. When his body was broken, I felt like the kingdom of God was broken. And when he died, I couldn't save him. 
No, I couldn't save him. But that didn't mean that God had abandoned us. Somehow I knew this isn't the end of the story. It can't end like this. I thought maybe, maybe the crowds will, upon his death, he'd be a martyr and the crowds would rise up and rush uh, the guards and the soldiers. That didn't happen. I thought maybe there'll be so much remorse that, that the Jewish leaders would actually join with the people and stand against our oppressors. That didn't happen. But you know, I learned something that week. I learned that sometimes our hopes are pinned on God doing some great thing. Sometimes we think if God saves the day, if he fixes the problem, and if he you know, makes right everything I see wrong in front of me, well, then God will be faithful. That means God is faithful. That means God is good. That means I can trust him. But I learned that week that God is faithful even when he doesn't do a miracle to save the day. I learned that God is faithful even when he doesn't fix all the problems. That day, the day was not saved. That day, the problems were not fixed. And as the sun was going down and we had to make our way to our homes for the Sabbath, I knew that once the sun went down, there was no hope, no hope for a revolution because everyone was going to go their separate ways and they were going to be quiet and calm for 24 hours and nothing was going to happen. But you know what? Here's the thing that I learned that week about God's faithfulness and trusting Him. God didn't save the day. And I couldn't save Jesus. But Jesus did save me. And Jesus did save you. I couldn't keep Jesus from death. But Jesus could use that death to redeem the world. By not saving the day, you and I are saved. By not bringing a miracle, you and I experience the greatest miracle in the history of mankind. An entire world was so caught up in sin that they were willing to kill the only perfect man who ever lived. The man who was also our creator, the man who was also our redeemer, and the one who loved us more than anyone else on earth. That world that was so caught up in sin, that day, found freedom from sin. That world that was so caught up in killing the creator of the universe received new life that day. So guys, it's so good to be here with you on Palm Sunday. Because I remember that Palm Sunday. I remember what it was like. I remember where my hopes were. And I remember that God totally and completely transformed my thinking about who He is, how He does things. And I learned, like Zacchaeus did, that just the love of Jesus 
is so powerful that it could change your life and mine. Let's pray. Lord God, help us to learn that lesson. Help us to learn anew and afresh that your love, your goodness goes far beyond the things we see. God, remind us of the truth of Scripture that you work all things together for the good of those who love you and are called according to your purposes. Even evil things, even horrible things, even desperately sad things. Lord, what feels sometimes like a crushed dream and a crushed hope can be the very seed that's planted that brings life, that brings the fulfillment of all our dreams and hopes. And just as you say in your word that a seed is planted in the earth and it dies so that life can bloom. Lord, Jesus was planted in the earth and died so that life can bloom. Our own dreams and hopes and plans can be planted dead and bring new life. Our bodies one day will also be planted dead and restored unto new life. All because you're good. All because you're faithful. All because 